Welcome to the Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders exist for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. And we are glad to be with you today. And we also have a special guest here with us today, Tom Buck. We'll introduce him in just a moment. But before we get going and talking to Dr. Buck today, we have an announcement to make to you to let you be aware of an opportunity that exists to you this week. Yeah, in five short days, we will be celebrating the 504th anniversary of the Reformation, that day in which Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg. So in order to celebrate that, we are having a Reformation Day sale at Founders Ministries. The sale runs from today until the 31st. And if you buy anything from Founders Press, you get 31% off that purchase. But the real deal is that when you buy something from Founders Ministries, you get 20% off registration for the Founders National Conference. 20% off. 20% off. We were talking earlier, Graham, and I thought you made a great point, but Hannah vetoed it, that since it's the 504th anniversary of Luther's nailing those theses to the door at Wittenberg, there should be a 504% discount. Yeah, I I thought it was a great idea. I thought it was great for marketing, but maybe not very economical. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, what we make up, or what we lose in uh, profit, we make up in volume. So there we go. That's that's the strategy here at Founders. Well, we've got... uh, the conference coming up in January, and you can get a discount on that if you buy books this week from Founders Press. But we want to mention this conference because Tom Buck's going to be speaking at the conference. It is on the doctrine of the church, militant and triumphant. And uh, Tom will be joined by Vody Balkum, Conrad and Bayway, uh, James Coates, and Travis Allen. And I'll also be speaking. We're looking forward to this. It's January 20th through the 23rd. We're actually going to have a pre-conference the day before as well. So that's on Wednesday as a pre-conference. The conference starts on Thursday. And then that Sunday, both Vody and Conrad, and we hope James, if he can arrange his schedule, uh, will be preaching in at least two churches here in our area. So you might want to just plan the whole weekend. And in fact... The Vody will be teaching his course on cultural apologetics before the Founders Conference. So that will start the Thursday and Friday before, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the week of the Founders Conference. If you need more information, just go to founders.org, Militant and Triumphant, the Doctrine of the Church. And you can register for the course that Vody's teaching at IOPT.org? Yeah, or Institute of Public Theology.org, right. So thanks for mentioning that as well. And that's open to auditors as well. So if you're not registered as a full-time student, at IOPT, which you should be. But if you're not, uh, you can audit the course and other courses that are coming up in the spring as well. Well, today we're delighted to have uh, with us Dr. Tom Buck. Uh, Tom's an old friend and he is a a fellow who pastored here in Florida. I think that's when I first got to know you. And then uh, somehow, I don't know, what you get, you draw the lottery to get uh, moved to Texas? How did you, (laughs) how did you get welcomed into the uh, Republic of Texas? And how long ago was that, Tom? Well, I got here as quick as I could. So uh, we, uh, it was, it's been 15 years now, It'll be 16 years this spring. Wow. But uh, the church that was here in, in Lindell was looking for uh, a, a Southern Baptist church. It was looking for a reformed uh, guy that was a Southern Baptist. And they were also were looking at, looking for a guy that was a uh, uh, dispensational, interestingly enough, in his theology. And there's not a lot of those out there, five point. SBC, SBC guys who are also dispensational. And so uh, they asked me if I would consider coming and Lord, Lord worked it out. We came here and just thrilled to be here. Wonderful. Hey, Tom, have you ever stopped and asked yourself the question why there aren't very many of the guys like that? <laughs> well, you know, there's few people in the world that get it right, but uh, 
<laughs> they were looking for an almost reform I, pastor. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm in I'm in John MacArthur's camp, so I'm in good company. Oh so yeah, you that. know, there you go. You you played the ace card, so we're backing <laughs> off now. Yeah, so it's First Baptist Church Lindale, right? It is. First okay, Baptist and you guys have a website that people can go to to learn more about you. Uh, yes, uh, fbclindale.com. Uh, okay. We'll give them any information about our church and where all of our preaching ministry is up. And uh, don't download it and preach it. Preach our sermons. Don't do that. But uh, anyway, <laughs> sorry. I and don't download your sermons and compare them to other people's sermons, right? I <laughs> uh, probably can do that pretty safely. But I can also testify to the barbecue there in East Texas. Uh, Tom, you took me to a place. I forget the name of it. Stanley's Stanley's and we I think we had to wait in line and uh, but it was well worth it so mm. it was delicious barbecue in the piney woods of Texas well Tom thank you for coming on the podcast and thanks also for agreeing to speak at our upcoming conference on the doctrine of the church militant and triumphant and you know we've gotten some uh, interesting comments about you know why you guys have to be so uh, in people's face and why are you talking about militant and you know don't you believe in Jesus and the gentle Jesus and you know why are you being militant so uh, have you thought about that have you heard anything about that in uh, your participation in a conference that's going to be dealing with church militant no I haven't heard anything about it of course you know I'm I, I'm just uh, now coming on to to speak for it so you, you asked me just a couple of months ago or whatever but I um, I'm excited about it. I think that Christians need to think through what it means to to stand for truth, what it means to be a gospel warrior. I just think that often people don't think of those two words to mm. going together, mm-hmm. but they certainly do. And uh, you know, Jesus even talked to his disciples about you know as they went out to take a sword. Uh, now, of course, you know, you know, as we as we think about uh, t- advancing the gospel in this world, we are we are coming up against all kinds of hostilities. And I just think Christians don't know how to think through um, how we can exhibit uh, the fruit of the Spirit and at the same time be bold and uh, be willing to fight for truth. I just think those seems like seem like oxymorons to people, but they're not. I'm, I look forward to the conference. Yeah, I do too. And I think you put your finger on a very important matter that uh, we're just not, uh, in our churches today, we're not thinking very deeply, very biblically. And so this idea of militancy just seems antithetical to the gospel and and yet it's not we're not talking about picking up literal swords and weapons and going out you know and trying to establish an earthly kingdom in a forceful way but we are talking about what what the bible talks about when it uses language of warfare when it uses language of standing firm and being thoroughly equipped taking up the armor of god the sword of the spirit i mean this is all biblical language and it's in the Bible for a reason. And so to be militant as a Christian or to be militant as a church, historically it's just meant to be the church. It's, it's the church in history. You know, we're not finished yet. And we have been told that the very gates of hell will not prevail against the church, which suggests, doesn't it, that we should be storming the gates, that we mm-hmm. should be advancing in the work of the gospel throughout the world, which is, you know, everybody thinks about that if you're a christian you realize that we have a job to do and that job should be done with the same kind of commitment that warriors have to conquering evil enemies and to withstanding the onslaught of enemies yeah and paul tells us in ephesians 6 that we do wrestle against rulers and cosmic powers and authorities and so we are at war we are in a struggle against these things yeah and sometimes those uh those spirits don't stay disembodied (laughs) sometimes they do actually uh enflesh themselves 
And again, we shouldn't be surprised about this. Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan. And what's going on there? Well, I think there's a militant stand for the accomplishment of the gospel, which he was on his way to do, going to Jerusalem, that, that uh, Peter said, no, you know, that's not going to happen. Mm. Yeah, I think we've lived so long in a culture, too, that where we have not had persecution coming at us, that we just have, we just have, we don't know how to respond to those things. Mm. And uh, there's been in the church, I think, a cowering rather than a courageous stand when we uh, come under attack. Yeah, I agree. One of the things we've talked about here some is that in America, we have had it so good so long because of God's blessings. And I, I believe most Christians would acknowledge that it's because of God's blessings in this country that we've, we've benefited from so many uh, ways that life has been easy for us, that we've come to think of that as normal, that this is regular Christianity. When, when you take what's happened here in the United States over the last 200 years, or maybe go back even a little further than that, and compare it to what's happened over the last 2,000 years, basically anywhere else in the world, I mean, there are exceptions, but the overwhelming majority of Christians for the history of the New Testament church around the world could only dream or imagine, try to imagine, of what we have lived with day in and day out for generations here because of God's blessings. And we think that that is typical. And so we tend to become friends with the world. We tend to become uh, kind of lulled to sleep to think, well, yeah, you know, things really aren't that bad. And why should we take stands against these, uh, what I see as movements towards statism, Mm -hmm. where the government is God, regarded as God, or uh, refuse to kowtow to other legitimate authorities when those legitimate authorities step outside the realm that God has given them their authority to operate within. And consequently, it just exposes a lot of superficial thinking, I'm afraid. Yeah, and it's interesting because on the cusp of this coming out of this incredibly you know, easy time for the church in which we haven't faced persecution, you have certain uh, Christian leaders saying, oh, we don't want to lose what we've had for so long. And I think that's mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And you have other Christians saying, oh, whatever we had before, it doesn't matter. You know, yeah. it, it led to prosperity. It led to peace that we could proclaim the gospel. Um, but, you know, all that's just, it's secondary. We don't need to work for that. And so if it all crumbles and we fall into, you know, Roman empire type persecution, then that's good too. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a, uh, a, a longing for persecution to yeah. show how much we really do love Jesus. Yeah, and, and the, the, the argument is, you know, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and if we suffer persecution, the church will grow. Well, you know, that's not necessarily what happened in Japan. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the, um, there's so many times in church history in which persecution really has stamped out the church. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, Tom, uh, tell us what's going on there in uh, First Baptist Lindale and how you guys have tried to navigate things over the last year and a half, two years or so, and where things are now, what, what are you seeing God do? Well, it's been an, you know, it's obviously been an interesting, uh, um, season for our church. Um, we've had to navigate not just the situations in our culture, but we've had to navigate the situations in the SBC. Mm. Uh, and, and that is, you know, added to it complications. I, it, I found it to be a very difficult time to pastor because what I want to be able to do is, shepherd my flock and preach and disciple and all of those things um, uh, and not be distracted by the things that are going into the world. So it's, it's learning to figure out how to respond to what's happening in our culture, respond to some of those things that are bleeding over into the Southern Baptist Convention, all of those things affecting our church. 
helping people think through this uh, pandemic time um, uh, where, where we still have some people, you know, that are fearful of what's going on and have not yet united and uh, come back to be with the, with the body. I, I, I've never been in a time that's more prob, um, maybe problematic is not the word, but just more, more challenging than what we're dealing with right now. Cause it seems to be things from every angle. I don't know if you're experiencing that or not. Yeah, we are. I mean, it's, it, it was disorienting early in 2020. And I remember some of those elders meetings, you know, we spend hours and uh, we would exegete executive orders from our governor. <laughs> and, you know, and we, we probably ought to preserve those emails yeah. back and forth, you know, where what, what does it mean by service? You know, what is an essential service uh, versus an essential business and all, all of that. And we just, there were things we never had to think about before. And it took a lot of time and a lot of energy, and God helped us as an eldership to maintain unity through that. Even when we had some serious concerns and disagreements at points, mm -hmm. God brought us through it. But yeah, the challenges were uh, just incredible. From that, however, by God's grace, we, we came through with uh, great unity, and I think we've seen some real fruitfulness in the uh, the inner workings of our eldership and in the whole church yep. over the last you know six months or so. Yeah. So that's been a, a, a good thing. The SBC stuff you brought up. <clears throat> yeah. You know, how do you, how, how are you guys navigating that? What's going on in uh, first Baptist Lindale with regard to your Southern Baptist connections and uh, the voluntary affiliation? Well, I think that one of the things that was, was very helpful was taking um, a, a full slate of messengers this year to the convention. How and many was that? Pardon me. Did you have twelve? Yes, we had twelve. Oh, okay. We took a full a full slate, and those folks got to see firsthand uh, what's going on in our convention, and that was quite helpful in one sense because they got to see it. In the other sense, they be that there was not anybody that left that that wasn't very discouraged when they saw everything that took place. But that allowed us to start having a conversation more as a church because I've been the kind of a I myself have been that lone spoken outside voice, mm. public voice, I should say, uh, for what's going on in the SBC. And our people have been trying to catch up with that because there's so much going on. And, you know, why is our pastor speaking out publicly about these things? Uh, and then I get attacked and criticized for that. And, you know, it makes them wonder, why is this taking place? What other people are, you know, really concerned? Is this an overreaction? Uh, our other, you know, pastors, elders have also had a voice as well. But what we're doing is we, we try to figure out a way to involve the congregation in this. So mm -hmm. we have uh, last night, we actually had a members meeting and formed a task force committee that's going to look into uh, all of the concerns that we have. Uh, concerns with the North American Mission Board. Some of those have been uh, addressed at least to one degree or another concerns with the seminaries and their unwillingness to address the plagiarism. Some of the seminaries unwilling to do that uh, concerns about uh, the uh, standpoint epistemology that's taking place and other critical race theory issues in our seminaries. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that's going on. So we're going to, we formed a task force to look into that, that mm -hmm. will have all the pastors, but will include uh, quite a few of our congregational members uh, as well to to look into these things and come back with a report to the church on what what we found and what recommendations we would make to the body. And Tom, that must have been a pretty significant step uh, for your congregation to make because you guys have been Southern Baptists for a hundred years or something. 
not quite 100, 78 years 78 we've been Southern years. Baptist. Um, prior to that, we were with the BMA, which is in East Texas, right. uh, historically so. Uh, but it was a big decision because we have people in our church that have strong connections to the to the SBC. We have former IMB missionaries. We have parents who have IMB missionaries and NAM church planters that are uh, children, as mm-hmm. that I should say that that are in our church. We have former uh, SBC in, uh, heads of institutions. Um, we we're we're a very strongly committed Southern Baptist church, as well as. Last year, we gave uh, uh, roughly a quarter of a million dollars to SBC causes. Yeah. So we're we're all in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when you think about that, um, so it, it has been a very difficult decision. You know, I, I've heard. I don't know. I, I should have kept a count, but dozens, dozens, and dozens of churches that have left or have made the decision to leave the SBC uh, over just even the, since since uh, the meeting in Nashville, so just in the last few months since June. Prior to that, you know, in addition, the, the year before, really since 2019, you know, dozens of churches that have left the SBC. So there's no telling how many. It'd be interesting to find the statistics. There's, if, if what I know of personally is any indication of the broader uh, efforts, there's got to be a noticeable dip in church membership and alignment of uh, affiliation with the SBC. And here you've got a church that's, you know, very uh, happily up until recent years participating in the Southern Baptist Convention that now has a task force studying it. And that's probably a good move. I mean, rather than just completely rejecting and say, we're going to walk away, form a task force, let the people who went to the SBC that came back and reported to your church, look, this is what we saw. And these are things that are very disturbing to us. And uh, let's study this and consider if this is good stewardship of our resources and relationships. So, you know, I commend you in that. Our own church, our our elders have done something similar to that. And uh, we've led the church and our church has redirected our financial giving for this year. We're we're not going to give to the cooperative program anymore this year. Uh, We're still continuing to give to International Mission Board and support international missions through that work. Uh, Disaster relief, we're still supporting that. And then we're going to decide based upon how things go the next couple of years, whether or not we can go back to giving to the cooperative program or need to do something um, even further uh, removed than what we are now. And, you know, one of the things too, Tom, and you took your full complement of messengers, which is a good thing to go to the convention because that just doesn't happen. Most, the overwhelming majority of our churches, 85% plus of Southern Baptist churches never send a messenger to the annual meeting. Mm. So they don't have a voice in what happens there. And of course, we know that SBC workers and all the SBC executives and such, they have their ways paid to the convention. So they get to go as messengers from their churches, most likely, and they get to vote uh, in whatever they deem to be wise and good. And the overwhelming majority of our churches just simply don't have a voice because they've trusted the leadership or they haven't taken the initiative to try to get involved. So I would encourage every Southern Baptist church to take money from wherever you got to get it in your budget and finance sending messengers, however many you can send from your church, to Anaheim in June of 2022 in order to vote and to make your voice known. Study the issues, study the candidates who will be running for president, and then vote in accordance with your own conscience and what your congregation wants to be as Southern Baptist Church and what they want the convention to be. That's To me, that's just simple stewardship 
the, the day of just trusting and sending your money is over. Uh, we've got to go. We've got to show up, speak up, and uh, cause our voices to be heard. Last year at the convention, uh, re- uh, correct my memory, did did not somebody come up with a fund in order to send pastors to the convention in order to, to vote? I don't know. Tom, well, that was it? that was me. Uh, and I got I got heavily criticized for that, um, you know, because, you know, what was said was that, you know, I was paying people to go vote for uh, the candidate uh, that I wanted them to vote for, which yeah. is absurd. Right. What I did say is because, uh, you know, I, one of one of the guys that's, you know, pro CRT and was pro Ed Litton asked me if I would pay his way. And I said, well, I'm not that dumb. Uh, I mean, I am, from, I am from Tennessee. I understand. But, and so that's kind of what got the, the rumor going, but I'm like, I'm not going to fund somebody to go up there and vote sure. in a way that I think is damaging to the Southern Baptist convention. That's, yeah. that would be stupid. But, um, but I didn't say they had to vote for Mike Stone. Mm-hmm. I simply said that uh, I'm not funding anybody to vote for Ed Litton because he's, his wife preaches on stage with mm-hmm. him. Uh, he, he, you know, he, we didn't even have the plagiarism scandal. There was plenty of reason to not vote for Ed Litton right. without the mm-hmm. scandal we have going on. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and, and they criticized me for that. These same people didn't criticize Danny Aiken when he publicly tells everybody to vote for Ed Litton. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, so, which is again, the hypocrisy is what drives me crazy in all this. Well, yeah, yeah, we did start that fund and, and, and so they could have voted for Moeller. They could have voted for Stone. They could have voted for Randy Adams. Yeah. Right. So the only person I was like, hey, I'm not funding to go there is to vote for Ed Litt. And I don't apologize for that. Yeah, yeah. didn't, anyway. didn't, uh, doesn't NAM pay for pastors to come in, church planters to come into the Southern Baptist Convention? Don't, you sound like the Washington Post now, you know? <laughs> the Washington Post actually reported that, and I just simply called attention to the fact that the Washington Post reported it, and uh, I had some NAM guys come after me, you know, how dare you, Tom, you know, you know you can talk to us. I said, well, talk to the reporter, you know? I mean, good night, if he's not telling the truth, talk to the reporter. Tom, you mentioned uh, Danny Aiken, the president of Southeastern Seminary, and earlier you mentioned that some of our seminaries seem to be uh, complicit in allowing this plagiarism uh, scandal to just continue yeah. on in the convention. What do you what do you mean by that? And what what do you see happening in terms of our seminaries with this whole issue of uh, stealing other people's sermons and preaching them as if they're your own? Yeah, I think that. There, there's this is multi-layered. Okay, so you have the issue first of all, plagiarism, and I think all of us as pastors have got to examine the way that you know we uh, present things in the pulpit. Because I would say that if if you went through any of our sermons over a 25-year period, there's probably a time where we have used a sentence or something of that nature that we saw somewhere else or read somewhere else, and we didn't give credit to it. And we need I think, so. I think all of us need to think through that issue. That's not what we're talking about no, with Ed Litton. No, we're not no, talking no, about no. that he even took a paragraph from a commentary and didn't say, hey, I got this from a commentary. Uh, so I think that's one layer. The, se- the second layer is what he did is he he took someone else's sermon uh, and he essentially made it his own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then he preached the illustrations as well. Uh, I'm not as the illustrations are not as problematic to me. I mean, I, you know, I've used illustrations that other people have used. Uh, but you don't, and, and you don't pretend that their experience was your experience, do you? Well, that's the fourth <laughs> one. That's the fourth one. Because, I mean, an illustration may be, you know, um, I don't know. You could. You, there's all kinds yeah, of illustrations sure. you can have of 
of a historical event, for example, that you saw in a commentary is a historical event. Use that in your sermon. You don't necessarily say, I got this from that commentary. Right. But but the, the integrity issue that goes the deepest, because he said that he had permission from J.D., which is ridiculous. That's laziness. So you got laziness involved. You have stealing involved. And then you have finally a deep integrity issue when he tells life stories of J.D. Greer. And then he uh, he 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 tells them as if they're his own experiences. And that is extremely problematic. Um, and so anyway, I, I think that, um, uh, as, as we look at this, at this, we've got to have our seminaries who are willing to speak out and will speak out very boldly that this is wrong. Now I'm not saying they should call for Ed Litton's resignation, even though Jim Hamilton and Denny Burke at Southern seminary have called for his resignation yeah, publicly. Mm-hmm. But I do believe at the very least, the seminary should make it clear that we believe this is wrong. We're not going to train men in our seminaries to go into the pulpit. They, We're trusting them to train men to go into SBC pulpits and around the world as missionaries, and they can't come out and say that that was wrong. Yeah. Uh, the political animals are the are, are the, our entity heads in so many ways. Mm. Uh, thankfully, uh, Al, Al Mohler has spoken out against it. Jason Allen has spoken out against it. But Southeastern and Southwestern are both complicit in either being passive and still promoting him in the pulpit, which is Southeastern did, or very active to give a defense for him, which is South, what Southwestern did in Adam Greenway. And I've spoke to both of those men, uh, both of those presidents of those seminaries about my concerns regarding Ed Litton. Yeah. Yeah. And that you, you've just uh, voiced the concerns and frustrations of a lot of pastors and a lot of churches. And again, I applaud Denny Burke and Jim Hamilton for leading their eldership to come out and call for Ed Litton's resignation. That's something we might ought to consider doing here mm-hmm. you know, amongst our own eldership and congregation as well. But it, it's just tragic to me that we have these leaders, these uh, these men who are heads of institutions and organizations that if they're not going to come out and just decry this, which I think they ought to, they at least shouldn't become complicit in it. And they're doing it while we're paying their salaries. And so, I mean, that's where we are as an SBC. And folks will get mad at a guy like you or, or me saying, well, you know, you're just being divisive. No, we're just shining the light on what is going on. We're not making up these things. These things are happening and it's just not right. It's not right. And so, you know, what recourse do you have? Well, your church has started a, a, a study to see, are we going to continue down this same road? Our task force will report back to the congregation. Congregation will make decisions. And if Southern Baptist entity heads want to drive more churches out of the SBC, just keep doing what you're doing. That makes good sense to me. Yeah. But if you're really concerned about churches that have had a 70-year-plus history in the SBC, been faithful participants in the SBC, uh, being heard and their, their concerns being given serious consideration, well then, okay, listen up and let's talk. So praise yeah, absolutely. God. Absolutely. Yeah, praise God for your efforts to reach out and to uh, have these conversations. Well, we have seen uh, the North American Mission Board, I think, in response to your actions larger than anyone else that I know about in calling attention to the fact that the North American Mission Board was financing church planters and church plants that had women pastors. And uh, you kept talking about this. You kept showing evidence. You kept getting 
pushback saying, you know, Tom, you're just making this up. This isn't a big deal. We've we've only found six churches out of however many thousand that we've planted, you know, and you just kept showing more. Well, here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. And the evidence was overwhelming. And finally, they couldn't uh, deny it anymore, I guess. or I don't know what happened. But just, what, a week or two ago, they came out with a statement on pastoral leadership guidance for our planters in which they clearly affirm that women cannot be pastors in NAM-funded church plants. Now, they also make it clear that, you know, once you are no longer being funded by NAM, if you want to put a woman pastor in there, then that's your decision. You know, we're not going to comment on that. So, man, what do you, uh, how, do you how do you view that? statement by NAM and this this new kind of direction that's very very vocal very public well i mean i have multiple feelings on it i wish that they had uh, what they did is they came out and said hey we're we're telling you what our policy is that's always been our policy and it's what we've always done even though tom buck and critical resurgence voices and others have proven that we haven't been doing that i mean they didn't say it's that conservative last part, resurgence voices wait a minute they're going to get mad at you if you call them critical resurgence voices so. <laughs> did i say critical resurgence? Yes. <laughs> yeah. sorry sorry about that conservative resurgence voices. <laughs> well you know there's the freudian slip there you go but um anyway um they had th- we had been pointing this out that group and myself for for some time and and guys in that group had actually lost all hope and they weren't talking about it anymore but i just kept hammering it because hey we we need answers on this Mm -hmm. so nam finally did come out and what i'm thankful about they not only said they can't be pastors they even said let me just read it to you it says uh, nam requires that endorsed planters align with the practice of the majority of southern baptist churches that only qualified men will hold the office or title of pastor so there you've got that they Mm -hmm. only qualified men can hold the title the office or title so you can't have a co-pastor is a woman mm-hmm. you cannot have an associate pastor is a woman that's a big step that they've made that clear yeah and then it says and as such serve as the communicator for teaching and preaching in the main gatherings or worship services that's huge yeah mm-hmm. because there were all kinds of and when i say all kinds of at, at well over 20 churches that i had documented where women in nam church plants were preaching in the corporate gathering um they say it was only six. They were talking specifically about they found six churches where mm-hmm. a woman was had the title of lead pastor or co-lead pastor or something like that. But it was much deeper than that. We sent a packet to them. I had several conversations with Ezell. I, I think that the, we still got more work to do. I talked to my church last night about this because here's the, the language that they use mm-hmm. is that they're going to align with the practice of the majority of Southern Baptist churches. Yeah. Well, how about the aligning with Scripture? And aligning with what our Baptist faith and message says, which is scripturally based, biblically based, that's where we need this to eventually go. Now, let yeah. me give the benefit of the doubt in this. I think that what NAM is doing, if I get put the best benefit of the doubt on it that I can, is they're saying we're not, you know, so many people say that the Baptist faith and message is not clear enough. Um and they decided that they would go with what the majority of Southern Baptist churches do. Well, I don't want to depend on what the majority of right. Southern Baptist churches do. Yeah. I want to depend on what Scripture says. Mm-hmm. If we need to tighten up the language of our Baptist faith and message, let's do it. So we should be thankful and happy, which I am, that Dr. Ezell has come out with this statement. But we should see in the statement itself the pragmatic language, which is problematic in the SBC as it always has been, and how we've got to move away from this majority uh concept of 
about SBC Church's practice ecclesiology and get down to saying what do the scriptures say. So I'm both thankful and cautious at the same time. Yeah, I agree with you. Theology, my majority, uh, has never been a safe guide. And we do have a statement. We do have a confession. And, you know, it, it kind of saddens me that we tried to strengthen the statement on that very issue a couple of years ago, and that was uh, turned down. So mm-hmm. we just need to keep trying to do that. But, Tom, I want to just publicly commend you for your determined efforts and not being put off despite being told some pretty harsh things and despite getting pushed back and having pot shots taken at you publicly uh, by people who uh, don't know better uh, about what all was going on and they just found themselves in a position to try to score points against you uh, with your determination to bring this issue and keep it before the uh, churches, the SBC. I think God's owned your efforts. And so thank you for, in behalf of a lot of pastors, a lot of churches, for your willingness to just stand firm and be immovable in the face of all kind of onslaught. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I am tenacious. There's no doubt of that. But what most people don't know, particularly those that just read what I say, is I really am a happy warrior, if you will, in the sense that uh, I love our convention. I love people. I am passionate about truth. And I love these men that I disagree with. Sure. I mean, um, I, I do very much. I talk with them. I uh, when when I have opportunity, um, I you know, if even though I've had strong disagreements with Dr. Ezell, I was sincere when he made a change in the statement that I wanted to publicly thank him in that. Um, so I think that one of the things that we have to do is continue to press forward, continue to speak truth. Don't don't let, you know, what others do in, in def, uh, trying to uh, def, misdefine your motives and question your motives or assign motives, I guess, to you. Uh, you just have to continue to stand for what's true and be. Uh, tenacious, but at the same time, uh, be ready to uh, to forgive where forgiveness needs to be given. Be ready to be uh, sit down and have a meal over these conversations, and 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 be uh, joyful in the mm-hmm. process of that. And you you don't have to be mean spirited in everything you do. The problem is is that when you continue to press on these issues, if just standing for truth today is considered to be mean spirited, and that's sad. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you're exactly right. Uh, I mentioned yesterday or Sunday in a sermon, Sunday morning on the last verses, 18 through 21 of Romans 10, that plain spokenness today, being plain in your speech, which Paul does by quoting Isaiah saying he's even more bold as to say that that today is regarded as harsh. That's regarded as being uh uh, unwilling to be entreated. That's regarded as being mean-spirited. And it's just, there's nothing uh, further from the truth than that. We we speak the truth in love, and if we really love, we will speak the truth, and we won't back away from the truth. And so I think you've uh, demonstrated that and exemplified it in a very helpful way, which makes you a wonderful speaker for the conference coming up in January, Militant and Triumphant, the Doctrine of the Church. So if you want to know more about this and how to do this and what this looks like, then we've got a lineup of men who are committed to doing this exact thing. And we encourage you to go to founders.org, sign up for this conference. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Man, I look forward to seeing you in January. Uh, You're going to be glad to be here in Southwest Florida in January rather than East (laughs) Texas uh, in January. You can take selfies and send back to your folks that are free and uh, say, look, look what I'm doing here in sunny Southwest Florida. 
I'm sure that they'll appreciate that very much (laughs) (laughs) if I send those pictures to them. Yeah, right. And Graham, remind us again of the sale that's going on and how people can get 20% off of their conference registration for the next week. Yeah, so starting today, going until the 31st, if you purchase anything from Founders Press, you get 31% off of that purchase. And then you also get a 20% discount for registration to the Founders National Conference. Thank you so much for listening to The Sword and the Trial.